was buried and that he rose again. That's the gospel according to the scriptures. And that's the gospel that we proclaim. That's all found in 1 Corinthians. The mystery exit that we're going to have. The rapture church. Information in 1 Corinthians. That rapture that's coming. Behold, I show you a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That all is part of that first letter to the church in Corinth. The Lord's Supper that we just observed, that's found in the letter to the church in Corinth. So you need to get the picture of how important that letter is to the church in Corinth, and his second letter is equally as important. It's in that letter to the church in Corinth that we understand that we are the body of Christ. And also in that letter is one of the most important doctrines that we can teach and preach is also to, in that first letter to the church in Corinth. And that is the teaching concerning the last Adam. And that's where we ended last week. We were talking about that. Look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 15. There's a lot in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting with verse 45. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. That's the Adam back in the garden. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Who is the last Adam? The Lord Jesus Christ. The first Adam was the one in the garden that God made from the dust of the earth. Gave him Eve as a wife. You know the story of the fall and how Eve was, was uh, deceived by Satan. Adam openly rebelled against God and chose to disobey God. The first Adam forfeited his dominion of earth to Satan by disobeying God. Now Satan, according to scripture, is the God of this world. He is the prince and power of the air. You ever wonder why? Or anyone ever ask, well, if God's a God of love, why do so many bad things happen on this planet? It's because who the God of this world is. It is Satan. But the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, he has restored that inheritance. He reclaimed that which was lost based on his death, burial, and resurrection. It is the last Adam that we praise, that we worship. When the scripture talks about putting on the new man, taking off the old man, and putting the new man, that new man is Christ. The old man is that relationship 
with Adam. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Here we go. Verse 22. For as in Adam we all die, so even in Christ shall all be made alive. See, a person is lost not because of the sins you commit. That doesn't make you lost. You are lost because of your relationship with the first Adam. In Adam we all die. That's why we need to be made new creations, new creatures, and be in the new or the last Adam, in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. In Adam, we all die. In Christ, all those that are in Christ, because they believed and trusted him, they're made alive. Think. Anything. That you're going to make it to heaven. Going to make it to heaven because of all the works, all the good deeds, and all the good effort you put into trying to appease a righteous God. About on occasions you can't do it you can't get good enough to do that heaven being your home so many people think is based on them satisfying God's God's righteous requirements with a hope so with a maybe with a if I can just be good enough See, that's not what salvation is. And a reason a lot of people do not believe in eternal security, as, I'm, as a matter of fact, getting a grip on this truth, understanding this truth, embracing this truth, is the biggest argument uh, uh, for eternal security. Because when you're in Adam, the first one, when you are born after Adam and all related to him, you're lost. There's absolutely nothing you can do to get yourself out of that first Adam. Except for one thing. And that is by faith, trust in Christ Jesus, the last Adam. See, people that think that, that their salvation is based on their good works, on their good deeds, they get to a point... Where do, where do you go out of being in the first Adam, being in the last Adam? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're, you're trying so hard, I'm going to make it to heaven if I just try harder, if I just do more good works. Can you imagine how sad it would be if you're working to get yourself to heaven and you're almost there and you die? Well, he was almost in Christ he, he was just, he was that, he missed it by that much. 
What a tragedy that would be. That's not the way salvation works. The way salvation works is either you are in Adam or you are in Christ. Faith, you trust in Christ Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that takes you when the moment you believe, it is the Holy Spirit that makes you alive, that quickens you and places you into the body of Christ. He is the glorified head, the last Adam. It puts you in that last Adam in Christ, seals you forever until the day of redemption, seals you, makes you complete. What a glorious plan of salvation that is. And it was through this letter in Corinth that Paul was writing these glorious truths. Corinthians. We find that Christ is our consolation. He is our comforter. See, I know that the Holy Spirit is declared for Jesus Christ to be the comforter, right? John chapter 14. But if you go back and you study John 14, what does the Lord Jesus say? That he's going to send what? Another comforter. People leave out that other word, another, another comforter. In order to enable him to get through that day of the Lord, that tribulation period is coming. But Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians, he is the one who comforts. He is the one who consoles. Second Corinthians, chapter 1. Second Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherein we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. A lot of times we go through times of trial and suffering and we don't quite understand, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Why am I dealing with this difficulty? Lord, if you love me, why are you putting me through this? I'm going to tell you, from scriptural, from the scripture, we understand that the tribulations and the trials and the things that we go through and we endure, number one, grows us in Christ. And number two, it helps us to comfort those that are going to be going through similar things when they're going through it, God uses those things to comfort others. He uses us to comfort others when they are going through similar situations. And let me tell you, the Apostle Paul needed comforting during this time. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. All out in the body, the dying of life, fest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. Verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, contribute to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but, through our, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and Paul considered what he had gone through, Light affliction. Hey, let me tell you, if what Paul went through is light affliction, I have no grounds to complain or gripe or bellyache. Matter of fact, I really don't know what persecution is. I might be stressed from time to time because someone may have said something bad about me or didn't invite me to their party or whatever. But I don't know what persecution really is. And Paul considers what he went through light affliction, which is but for a moment works for us a fair more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of what you're having to put up with, regardless of the stress and the distress that you're experiencing, know this, what is coming is absolutely glorious. And it will be worth it all. Amen. Matter of fact, look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 8, has that same theme. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I think that's just a glimpse of how glorious heaven is going to be. And I'm going to be there, amen? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be there, amen. I hope you're going to be there. But I got to tell you this. The suffering that I've experienced to date is nothing compared to what these folks, what the Apostle Paul experienced during his life. Troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but sacred. The persecution was intense. But the Apostle 
Paul was comforted by the prospects of eternal life, the glory that was coming. So folks, regardless of the pain we endure, the sufferings we encounter, the hardships we face, the comfort in all of this comes from knowing that we are safe in Christ, that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, that we are in Him and we have life. I think verse 17 there sums it up. It's nothing to be compared to what's coming as far as the glory and the blessings of God. And it's all because of Christ's finished work. It's all because of what He accomplished on the cross. It's all because of what He accomplished in the grave. It's all because the tomb is empty and we serve a risen that we can take comfort regardless of how weird and wacky the world gets. The Apostle Paul catalogs his sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. I want to point this out to you just so that you understand that our suffering is really tiny. Again, we may experience some stress, but we have no idea what suffering what persecution is, at least to this point. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, start with verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Three times was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, three times I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. This is what the Apostle Paul suffered. And he says, it's a light affliction and is nothing to be compared to what's in store, what is coming. He should have known something was coming. Look at 9. Look at Acts 9. When, when the Lord talked to Ananias about going to Saul and, and uh, laying his hands on him so he'd received his sight, because just seeing the dazzleness of the Lord, he lost his sight. Verse 15 of chapter 9 but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name among the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he, might, he must suffer for my name's sake. And we just read about them. And boy, did he. But just for the excellency of knowing Christ, he then 
affliction. In the book of 1 Corinthians, that is a book of reproof. In 2 Corinthians, it is a defense of Paul's apostleship because he was being bombarded by some of the believers here at the church questioning his apostleship. And he even tells them, you are the seal of my apostleship. What I have done there by the power of God, you're proof of the fact that I am an apostle. But there at this church, he had to defend apostleship, had to defend the new doctrine. This doctrine of the grace of God was brand new. He had to defend those truths that God was revealing to him, was revealing to him new truths that had never been heard before concerning this body, what God was doing through Jew and Gentile. All of this revelation of the mystery was new, and as he was sharing it, there was, there was contention, there was animosity, there was people that were trying to stop from doing that. Troubled on every side, yet he faithfully taught. And I think one of the greatest passages of Scripture, matter of fact, if I were if I'd ever quit being so lazy and I would just sit down and write a book, I think I would call it the fragrance of God because that's what the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth told them they were to be. You ever thought about that? That you are to be a sweet aroma. And that's to the church in Corinth. Look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2. I love this verse. I love this thought. I love this picture. I love this admonition. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Boy, that's a pretty good doctrine right there to hold on to. Amen? God always causes us, not sometimes, not but always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor or the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. Look at verse 15. For we, for you, are unto God a sweet fragrance of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. You are to be a fragrance of God. Whether you are fellowshipping with the saved, the believers, the saints of God, or you are visiting with the lost, they ought to just be able to detect that sweet fragrance, that sweet aroma of God on you. That's what the Scripture says. That's what you are. There's a story happened years ago 
of a famous evangelist that went to Pasadena, California. True story. He goes to Pasadena, California. He's preaching a revival. And he has an afternoon session. And the next session wasn't going to start until that evening. And so he wanted to kill some time. So he had heard of the infamous, famous rose gardens in Pasadena, California. So he sort of excused himself and he snuck out. He just wanted to spend some time alone there in this garden. He wanted to pray. He just wanted to go over his notes for the revival. He just wanted to get away. So he didn't tell anybody. He wanted to be alone. So he didn't tell anybody and he goes to those rose gardens. And that evening he comes back and he walks into the, to the hall where the sermon's going to be, where the, the revival's taking place. And someone asks him, how did you enjoy the rose gardens? He was like, what? How did you know? Somebody else says, did you enjoy our rose gardens? He said, wait, I, I didn't tell anybody where I was going. And someone says, oh, but you brought the fragrance with you of our roses. Folks, that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to be that fragrance of God in every place where people know that you walk with God. People understand that you know him. There is a savor. There is a fragrance to that lifestyle. And I think God's word calls us to desire to be just that, the fragrance of God. And quickly, since 2 Corinthians, that we find out that Christ is the reconciler. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things become new. You are not redeemed individual. Let me tell you, you are a new creation. You have gone from the old Adam to the new Adam, to the new man, to the last Adam. You are a new creature. Your standing before God has absolutely changed. You talk about eternally secure. You talk about once saved, you're always saved because you're standing, your position, your relationship with God the Father has changed because you are in God the Son. That was a work of God to put you there. I feel sorry for those who do not believe in eternal security. I grieve for them. Because they don't understand that joy, that certainty that we have, that we experience. But let's read on. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To 2 Corinthians, we find that Christ is the reconciler that we have been reconciled to God the Father through God the Son, and we have been given a task. We've been given a ministry. There is a calling on each and every one of our lives, and that is to be ministers of the Word 
of reconciliation. Verse 18, to wit, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespass, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Wow. He has been made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That in him is absolutely, positively necessary. But that is a definition of our standing before a holy God in Christ. Save to the uttermost. We find in 2 Corinthians in that letter that, that Christ is our comforter because of his ultimate sacrifice. He is reconciler because of his ultimate sacrifice. We are the fragrance of God because of his ultimate sacrifice. Two more verses, real quick. And these, boy, and I love this verse. I, I love this verse. This is, you need to remember, you need to understand that Paul was dealing with a bunch of carnal Christians here. You need to understand that this was a rowdy city. You need to understand what these people came out of to serve God. And just dealing with this church there in Corinth was not easy. But you want to know what Paul's attitude was? And what the attitude of every man who is called to preach the gospel and pastor a church should be? It's found in this letter to the church in Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Boy, how important this verse is. Preachers, memorize this verse. For I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You talk about dedication. You talk about commitment to the cause of Christ. This verse needs to be on the desk of every pastor. Certainly every grace pastor. I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Wear me out. Use me up. The more abundantly they hated him, they despised him, the more he loved them. The less they loved him, the more he loved them. What a testimony of this man being called of God. This last verse, I was thinking about maybe using it when we wrap up all the scripture, this whole study, maybe around Christmas sometime. Because I think, I, I think this next verse, I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself and share it with you because it's in 2 Corinthians, that I think sums up 
Christ of the book. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Talking about Christ. Thanks. Who, who, who is Christ of the book? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's what Christ is. The word unspeakable there literally means that which cannot be fully declared. Doesn't mean you can't speak his name. That unspeakable gift is so wonderful. That unspeakable gift, which is Jesus Christ, is so glorious that there is no way the English language or any other language or human speak could ever fully declare all that Christ is, all that He has planned, or His amazing love He has for you. He is most certainly the thing of the entire Bible. He is the living Word. And for the life of me, I do not understand why people reject on a continued basis this unspeakable gift. Why they do not desire to live for Him and to serve Him and to be a witness for Him. Why they go against what His Word teaches and says. They choose to go their own broken and bent way. I don't understand it. I can tell you this. is because they don't have the Lord Jesus in their heart. By faith, evidently, they haven't trusted Him. The Holy Spirit hasn't come in to take residence up. Because once that happens, you can't be comfortable sinning. Amen? I'm not saying you're not going to sin. Because we still sin. Don't like it. Can't wait till this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruption. And I quit it. But I can tell you this. I am convicted when I sin. I know it when I sin. Don't you? So for those who just willfully... Go against God's word. We need to pray. And we need to trust God's word to bring about the conviction, first of all, and then the change in their life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And we're thankful that Jesus saves. How thankful we are that you look beyond our faults and you saw our need and you met that need through Christ Jesus. Father, we're thankful for what these two letters to this church in Corinth detailed strong doctrinal issues that, are, that just draw us closer to you and teach us things that we need to know about who you are and who we are and what we need to do in order to have that perfect relationship with you. 
Father, we're thankful for these two letters to the church in Corinth. Father, may we take them, may we study them, may we, the, may we apply the truths to our very lives. Now, Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted you as Savior, Father, that they will not take another breath until by faith they believe that you died for them, that you were buried for them, that you were raised again for them, and by faith trust you for salvation. And Father, we're thankful that the moment a person does that, the Holy Spirit begins his work in their lives. They are quickened. They're made a new creature. Their lives change completely concerning their standing before you. Father, we thank you for that amazing act of salvation. And Father, help each and every one of us who know you, who love you, who desire to serve you, Father, to be that fragrance, that sweet savor that you would have each one of us to be. We love you this morning. We're thankful for Calvary. We're thankful for that life eternal this hour through him. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.